So have you ever heard a sermon from Habakkuk? Do you remember? Maybe you've heard a sermon or two on the words, the just shall live by faith. Maybe, maybe you've heard sermons on those words. That's Habakkuk 2.4. The little book of prophecy comes up just once every three years in the lectionary. But there are Christians who read it, who go over it with a fine-tooth comb. And not just Habakkuk, but all the books of the prophets. I was getting ready to send out the email blast last week. I, was, I went to look for an image that had some words from Habakkuk in it to add to the email. And in that search for images, a picture of a book cover came up. And that was intriguing. The subtitle was, The Man of Habakkuk 2. Any guesses as to who that man is? Well, the full title of the book is Donald Trump in the Bible, the man of Habakkuk 2. It's by YouTube preacher Richard or Stephen Wyertz. Now, I didn't buy the book, but I did track down his online lecture on the content of the book. Now, Wyertz, like many Christians, believes we are living in the end times, and he also believes there is a chapter in the Bible that makes sense of every year in what he says is the 7,000-year history of the earth. Now, he's not very clear about how he makes those connections, although I have seen his table of connections. But for some reason, there is a connection between Habakkuk chapter 2 and the year 2016. So when he saw the words in Habakkuk chapter 2 at the appointed time, he became convinced that November 6, 2016, was the appointed time. Therefore, Donald Trump, the, fifth, the 45th president, must fulfill the prophecies of Habakkuk. So therefore, Habakkuk 2 must provide at least 45 reasons that Trump is God's man. And sure enough, Wyatt's found 45 reasons, 45 reasons and more in that short chapter, but all in the King James Version. And he says over and over, if we read Habakkuk 2 after we read his book, we'll be absolutely certain that it is all about Donald Trump and that everything else we have been taught about the Bible was false. Now, Wyertz and many others insist that everything Donald Trump does, especially building that wall, is predicted in the Bible. Therefore, God has appointed Trump to wreak the havoc on earth that has to come before the end. So leave him be. So God can accomplish what God wills through Donald Trump. Now it must all be in the King James Version because I can't find any reference to a man in the NRSV. And it's clear to me that chapter 2 is about a message, a word from God, an answer to Habakkuk's, or Habakkuk's cries in chapter 1. In one poll, at least 30% of white evangelicals in the U.S. agree with Wyatt's 
and other better-known preachers. Why? Because many Americans, and more than a few Canadians too, believe the world is a mess, and the messy world is turned against them, and in their distress, they're not just looking for answers to their whys, they're looking for someone who has the answers and can take over, promising to set things right, promising to put those who don't belong among us in their places. And they don't follow God's instruction to Habakkuk to wait for God's time. They believe it's now. And ironically, the people, the Christians who are turning and joining the hard right and the alt right and, and others, they imagine that they are in the very same place that Habakkuk comes from. Now, we don't know where, when or where Habakkuk preached to the people and pleaded with God. But put him and all the prophets in the broad context of the Old Testament with God's people Israel and Israel and Judah are always under some kind of threat from outside, from more powerful neighbors that were always ready to take Palestine and make it their own. Threats from within, too. Corrupt political and religious leaders willing to risk God's judgment for their own benefit. And sometimes it seems to the prophets all the people are following these wolves in sheep's clothing. Habakkuk complains to God, the law has gone slack. When there's ignorance and abuse of the law, there is no justice. And Habakkuk's complaint, you may think it resonates in our time. Habakkuk says he'll wait for God to answer, to give him and his people a word that will reassure them. And God answers, and God says, the word will come, just wait some more. And when it comes, paint it on billboards. Send out an alert, like a tornado warning or an amber alert, so people will get it when they're on the move, so it wakes them up and interrupts their entertainment. But, a big but, for the time being, there will be more trouble. And another but, but the righteous, those who do their best to live as God calls them to live will survive. They'll live by their faithfulness. And it's better to translate it as faithfulness than faith. And chapter 3 tells us that Habakkuk received the answer and after crying out some more about what's going on, he sings a song of praise. These are the last words of Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the, the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Those are the last words, but not the very last words. The very last words of the prophecies of Habakkuk are to the choir master with stringed instruments. 
So Habakkuk intended these words for everyone to sing. The righteous, those who do their best to live as God calls them to live, will survive. They'll live in any circumstance by their faithfulness. They'll go on loving God and neighbor, doing their best to do good for all. They won't stop seeking, demanding justice. And they will be signs that God is faithful, though all around them denies it. Now, believe it or not, there's a connection between Habakkuk and our gospel story of Zacchaeus. Just stay with me. In Sunday school, we were taught that Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, is a sinner in search of salvation. Jesus singles him out, goes to Zacchaeus' house, and the sinner is saved. And he will show his changed ways by giving away a lot of money. But there's not a word in the story about sin. And there's no description of Zacchaeus repenting and Jesus assuring him that he has come into God's favor. Jesus describes him as a son of Abraham, present tense. And so in this case, we, we do have to heed Wyatt's advice and turn to the King James Version. Does Zacchaeus say, behold, I will give, or behold, I give? It could be either. But let's suppose the King James translators got it right when they chose the present tense. Behold, I give. It connotes, I already give, or I always give. And Zacchaeus gives back far more than the laws of God and Moses require. So what if a righteous man, a faithful man, has to go up a tree out on a limb to see Jesus because the righteous people of Jericho hate him. He works for the Romans. They call him a sinner. They don't know Zacchaeus' heart. They don't know about his generosity. He tells Jesus about what he does, and it's not for public consumption. It's entirely likely that a Jewish man in his position has little or no choice but to work under the patronage of the oppressors. But, ah, as a chief tax collector, he's free to contract his work out to anyone he chooses. Zacchaeus is compromised, yes. But maybe, just maybe, he has discovered the good he can do behind the empire's back. The Romans are satisfied as long as they get their money. So in the thick of yet another time of imperial oppression, this righteous man does what he can to do good, even to enact a very generous justice in a time when the law is slack and there is no justice for the common people. Jesus says today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus too is a son of Abraham. The salvation is an affirmation of Zacchaeus' faithfulness, despite the compromise he's had to make. But it's also 
salvation from the community who won't allow him his rightful place in community, their community. It's his, too. So here's a connection with Habakkuk's message. Imagine Zacchaeus as the kind of righteous person, God says through Habakkuk, lives by faithfulness in circumstances where faithfulness is difficult, to say the least. Now, you and I don't face the trouble Habakkuk and his people faced. The trouble and threat and oppression that some, some Christians in North America believe they are experiencing. We don't live in quite the same world, Jesus and Zacchaeus knew, though we do live in the shadow of empires that can force our choices and direct our lives if we let them. Not geographic empires, but corporations. We like to believe that we're safe and free, especially when we can see so many places in the world where oppression is direct and brutal. And yet we know. We know that outbreaks of brutality and violence are never far from us. And that there are all kinds of casualties to the games the powers play, not games of thrones, but games of boardrooms and government offices. We can react to the uncertainty and instability and fear-mongering all around us. We can react even to real threats, react and follow Stephen Wyatt's and others in search of quick answers or on a quest for someone who will offer us an illusion of safety and freedom as the world rolls on towards some imagined divine resolution. We can react or we can respond in today's world with faith, trust in God, with faithfulness, loving God and neighbor, doing our best to do good for all, seeking, demanding justice where the law is slack. We can be signs for all to see, written large so all can see, signs that God is faithful, though so much around it would seem to deny it. Amen. Glory to God.